jokes about gent guitar. I bet we're uh, the same age. I'm 26. Oh, no, Gargan, I'm I'm very I'm a full decade older than you. It's I'm about ready to shuffle off the mortal coil. <laughs> it's I'm I'm laying in bed, just wheezing my last breath, looking at the Tumblr kids of today, feeling like the internet is in good hands and they can take our terrible legacy. That's wholesome. And, and do better than we did. My name is Jackdaw Ruiz, and I'm here to say that I like to podcast behind a layer of defensive irony. Recently, my friend Kate and I were spending time off the coast of Sausalito on my boat, the Podcast Mad Catamaran. The name is a joke, you see, because it's not even a catamaran. It's a flybridge cruiser. But like they say, boating humor comes in waves. Anyway, we were discussing plans for upcoming episodes of the show when she said to me, You should have YouTube on the show. Now, I admittedly did not recognize the name Eugen, so I asked, Who? You know, Gargron. What the fuck is a Gargon? No, Gargron with two R's. He's like, Literally the lead development for Mastodon. Mastodon? Like the band? Uh, Mastodon, it's the microblogging platform we're all on. What on earth is a podcast? I didn't even say podcast. It was about that time that I realized the eighth of mushrooms I had eaten that morning was hitting a lot faster than I had expected. I subsequently realized that I do not own a boat, I probably cannot locate Sausalito on a map, and I'm definitely not British. But still, Hallucination Kate had given me an idea. After an hour spent googling Gargon and not finding a goddamn thing, I typed in the name Eugen and discovered that he's the primary developer of Mastodon. Fascinating. So I reached out to Eugen with an invitation to engage in the rare interview that doesn't spend the first several questions explaining the difference between Mastodon and Twitter. The moment he got my message, he immediately waited one full week and then replied back asking who I am. One thing led to another, and we agreed to have a fun and informative chat. Like each of these discussions, I feel like my understanding of the Mastodon platform has become a bit more clarified by the conclusion. I'll catch you on the backside of the interview, and we can chat about it there. In the meantime, I still haven't figured out how to edit correctly into the next segment, so we're just going to have to deal with whatever I... All right. Welcome to Nothing But The Toot, the podcast that lets Gargan say fuck. Gargan, thank you for joining me uh, this morning for me, this afternoon for you. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing all right. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. So it's, I, I have the sense that when you give conventional interviews, the first third is always dedicated to uh, explaining the nature of Mastodon. We can dispense with that entirely because the presumption here is that anyone listening is already familiar with Mastodon. And then other than that, I promise you a very conventional interview. Like by, by the time we're done, you'll be able to think back and say, that was very, very, very conventional. <laughs> the series that I'm doing is chatting with Mastodon posters uh, because I feel like engaging the users on the platform is a good avenue to understanding what Mastodon is at its heart. But the first question here is, is it really possible for you to feel like a conventional 
Mastodon user, like when you post, are you incredibly self-aware about how your words are going to be parsed or perceived, or are you able to use the platform with that sense of freedom to just toot whatever comes to mind or get into like a shit posting groove or just kind of, you know, post whatever you're thinking about? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question. Thank you for that question. And the answer is no, I, I don't really feel like a, a casual posture because I have an uncomfortably large following and I am seen by new people signing up who don't have any context. So anything I toot about, it has to have like 20 disclaimers attached to it so I don't get annoying responses. And I still get annoying responses from people who are like, miss what I'm talking about or misread something and assume something different and stuff like that. So I think over the two years that I've been posting, I've just becoming more and more reserved in a way. Do you get halfway to posting something sometimes? You look at what it is and then you just decide you're better off not? Absolutely. I, I often just type something and then just erase it. Sometimes I go to um, friends and private message them saying, oh, here's a good joke, but I, I can't post it, but you, you can if you want to. I don't expect full candor or full disclosure on this, but do you maintain an alt account uh, entirely distanced from your identity that allows you to, to get out there and, and mix it up on the streets of Mastodon and experience it without the baggage of you being you? No, unfortunately I do not. I have never been able to uh, maintain any alternative personas. I only have me. Um, and uh, I just think that if I ever created an account under a different name, it would still be quite clearly obvious that it's me because of the things that I post about or how I write sentences or, you know, I'm, I'm just not not capable of maintaining a ruse like that. Okay, just for the benefit of the listener, I want everyone to know that the entire time you were answering that, you were giving big exaggerated winks. <laughs> I've noticed that you're following uh, my lewd account, but not my main account. <laughs> Wait, really? No question there. <laughs> Just an observation. Moving on. <laughs> uh, we all know, uh, it is a well-acknowledged fact, I should say, that Ruby is the uh, gent guitar of programming languages. <laughs> is it true that when you're coding... You grab the keyboard in both hands and crouch down into a crab stance and then type out strings of code like you're hammering out a scorching hot, a tasty guitar solo. There is some truth to it because I have an extremely loud keyboard. So whenever I'm typing, it, it, does, it does resemble gent in some distant ways. Are you, are you part of like that cult of mechanical keyboard users that just like the clicky clack sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am I am universally hated for it in all voice chats that I inhibit. When you when you do post and get more into the personal rather the technic rather than the technical, it seems like music comes up with some frequency. What are you listening to these days when you're when you're working? I usually put on either Tesseract or uh the Deer Hunter. Both bands I found in 2018 and fell in love with them. I I found them at different at different parts of 2018, so Tesseract was first. Uh, it's mm -hmm. prog metal. It's extremely clean, distinct sound that I haven't heard anywhere else. They're really good. And the Deer Hunter is prog rock, and it's it's a little less uh, mm -hmm. conventional rock. Um, someone uh, someone just turned me on to the Hello. Deer Hunter not a couple of weeks ago, and it struck a chord with me because there's just enough similarity to some other things I've enjoyed, like a, kind of some whiffs of Mars Volta in there. When you see exceptionally weird shit on the timeline, 
how much time or effort do you invest in trying to understand it before deciding that it just might be weird and opaque? Probably no time. I do tend to get things except for that one word that I didn't know and that uh, Eve explained to me. Speaking of Eve, it is her birthday today. Can you wish her a happy birthday on the podcast? Happy birthday, Eve. I hope you get some boosts. Happy birthday, Eve. All right, Gargan, we are going to take a quick break. I will be able to, to get in a commercial. We'll come back and we'll chat a bit more about Mastodon. Okay. bound to happen sooner or later, but this is my first online read of an actual paid advertisement. Given that there is such a large concentration of Mastodon users in the Pacific Northwest, uh, I was approached by a local marijuana dispensary, the Good Good People at Portland Tree Fort, to help promote the upcoming February special on 2 gram pre-rolls. So, uh, if you want some pre-rolled big boys for blowing big, big doinks, stop in during the month of February, and there are guaranteed specials on all the following strains. OG Kush, Sour Puff Girl, Purple Matilda, Colorado Salad Bar, Afghan Crunchberry, Blueberry Blockchain, Chonky Boy Diesel, Orangutan Fistfight, Chonky Boy Diesel, Orangutan Fistfight, Hashtag Maddie, Lemon Family Tragedy, Turban Sage, a Literal Bottle of Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing, The Star Wars Prequels, Dude Weed, Lamau. Plus, if you're coming by for Valentine's Day, for whatever reason, you fucking reprobate, uh, make sure to check out the supply of Manibus. That's right, Manibus, finally. Cannabis for men. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, we're visiting. Stop by Portland Tree Fort and mention code JACKDAW to receive an important quest item that you need to advance the main storyline. Back to the show. Welcome back. We are talking with Gargan. Um, that two R's. Two R's. Gargron. Gargon. No. Gargron. Can I? I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't intend to do this, but the moment has presented itself. If I pronounce your name Eugen, am I pronouncing it correctly or incorrectly? You're pronouncing it correctly. Okay. In your language. Oh, okay. It's, there's a subjectivity to it for language. There, there is, yeah. I've always... I don't know why, but I've always been comfortable with having different names for different languages, so... You know, my parents in Russia called me one thing, and Germans called me another, and they're all the same name, ultimately. They just pronounce it differently. And that's fine. It's a more satisfying answer than uh, I had expected, because I'm not sure if you're aware, but there is always an ambient level of background conversation about what the proper pronunciation is, and that answer is both definitive and also doesn't necessarily... <laughs> clear it up they're all valid <laughs> so you you have said there is an overall core idea to mastodon and when chatting in interviews you've likened it to coloring in an image when the contours exist already or sanding down the rough uh, edges as you find them so is it fair to say that you have a big picture in mind even if you're kind of discovering that big picture as you go I think you picked those quotes from interviews from like a year ago, uh, and they're true, but they're also a little bit outdated because I think at this point we've arrived at a pretty much finished picture, right? So, so everything that needed to be colored in has been colored in. Everything that needed to be added has been added. Mostly, Mastodon is the way that it should be, uh, and I'm pretty satisfied with, with where it's at. The, the only thing missing is more people. I believe that's, that's the biggest challenge for Mastodon. When getting to this point, were there any parts of that big picture where rather than, instead of refining them, you outright changed your mind on them? Like you originally thought, this element needs to be like this, and where we are today, 
you instead decided, like, oh, no, it needs to actually be like that. There has been many big and small events like that. Uh, I mean, if we if we start very early on, Mastodon didn't have private posts, and I was opposed to private posts because, uh, well, the idea is if it's on the internet, it's public, and adding a level of of uh, limiting the audience is just kind of unreliable and uh, possibly deceiving because you you have a false sense of security. At least that's how I thought about it. But you know, when when you think about it more, email works the same way too. I mean, you, you send an email privately to a recipient, but they're pretty much free to do whatever with it, forwarding it to a thousand people or printing it and hanging on the wall somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, and it still has its use. It's still, the, that privacy aspect is not worthless. And so, um, so I decided to add private posts back then. And uh, when people convinced me um, that we should uh, adopt ActivityPub instead of OStatus. I was also at first not sure that uh, it was worth it because, you know, never heard about ActivityPub. It was a very new thing back then and unproven and nobody has ever implemented it. And um, I'd have to be the first. I thought about it and I changed my mind and we went ahead with it. Peripheral to the topic of privacy and saying that things are getting to a state where uh, the picture is about finished. What is up with the blocking functionality between accounts? Because it still seems like there's some eccentric behavior or loopholes Mm, mm. or or workarounds. Uh, have, Have all of the things that act peculiar about that been identified? I think I think blocking in Mastodon has the funniest storyline because the first iteration of the block function was essentially a mute and it was a mute for the same reason that I talked before about the false sense of security you can very reliably close off what you see about anything else from your account but you can't really if you're posting publicly you can't really tell who's going to see it and mm-hmm. on Mastodon people on different servers are not going to be logged in on yours so you can't really hide stuff from them and stuff like that and so initially the block was called a block but it was essentially a mute and then when when people arrived in November I believe people wanted the block to actually at least try to hide posts from from those who are blocked so I changed that and I made it work that way, even though I was not entirely sure that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we had that. So we fulfilled that wish of the community. And then, well, then people started requesting that there would be a mute feature. And so I right. went ahead and added the mute feature. So now we had the mute feature, which originally worked the same way as a block feature and the block feature that worked a little bit differently. There have been some discrepancies between how those two work, um, but I believe in version 2.5 or 2.6, or maybe even a little bit earlier than that, um, I went ahead and just erased like all differences between the functions except for who can see the post. So the mute is uh, transparent, so the mute is not, you can't find out that you're muted, mm-hmm. but you can find out that you're blocked. And, and so they're mostly consistent now. Mastodon.social has, I don't know if it's necessarily official or unofficial, that designation as the flagship instance. When giving it that title, is it living up to the goals that you have in mind for it? Is it useful or is it a hurdle that what is effectively something of a testing ground for for features and ideas also happens to be a massive instance with a lot of less initiated users. Well, I called it the flagship because it was the first one and because it's mine. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to get new features earlier than, than others just because it's run by the developer. I'm not I'm not entirely comfortable with it growing bigger personally, because at its core what I really want it to be, or wanted it to be, is just like my place to host my account mm-hmm. and possibly my friends. But at the same time, I feel a responsibility because 
dot social is the server that new people come across from like media articles from google searches and stuff like that and if i won't take the responsibility to accept those users and and educate them and sort of get them into the ecosystem then mm -hmm. probably nobody else will because there is this um what do you call it tragedy of the commons where nobody really feels responsible for stuff like that i mean most most other servers are just kind of close-knit communities that are not really interested in expanding they're more interested in just keeping their friend group going and that's fair enough but it's not contributing to the growth of mastodon in the absence of real statistics on it because they don't exist they can't exist and probably shouldn't exist i'm gonna speak in generalities about the user base uh kind of talk anecdotally about the observations that i've had but i think that they're observations that bear out do you have the feeling that the current user base of mastodon is comprised of people actively seeking an alternative from other social networking platforms so rather than mastodon being someone's introduction to to social media the stereotypical user is someone who has been dissatisfied with elements of other platforms and mastodon is offering them an experience with less of those elements i think that's a fair assessment the other platforms are just so much bigger that anybody who's just starting with social media would come across them much sooner than come across Mastodon. So there is barely any opportunity for Mastodon to be the first experience <clears throat> of somebody. And I would, I would guess that there is a goal to arrive at a point where the, the population growth isn't so much defined by people leaving other services like we've... Um, you know, we, we informally talk about the, the Twitter influx of August 2018 or the, this Tumblr spike recently as people are exiting. But it would be the long-term plan to just have uh, folks organically discovering Mastodon for what it offers, right? I kind of agree and kind of disagree because I think the reason that platforms like Facebook and also Twitter essentially stopped growing is because there is... a a saturation of the market. Everybody who wanted to be on a social network already is on one. So there isn't really a, a large pool of people to, to, to get new users from other than those who are already on other platforms. But I, yes, I do want people to switch to Mastodon because of Mastodon's advantages and features rather than as a, I don't know, protest vote. Although those are not mutually ex exclusive, I think. So you had mentioned the concern that before posting anything, um, people could react poorly to it, or it could be misinterpreted, or there could be some kind of negative reaction. And at this point, that's not a hypothetical. That is something that has occurred multiple times. What is your process for you know, absorbing the criticism, parsing criticism, getting frustrated, calming down. I mean, I'm guessing that by now you have something of a system or a routine in place for, for these reactions. Is that accurate? It's less of a routine and more of just acceptance. It's before uh, I might have gotten a bit upset and voiced that uh, frustration in follow-up toots and you know uh, a year later if I come across one of those it's like why why did I even post that it just makes it worse uh, sometimes I can clarify that's that's one of those things that can help uh, for example if I'm posting about uh, wanting to do private research just for myself to find out you know wh wh which accounts have more influence on uh, the Fediverse. Um, and somebody uh, comes up and starts talking about um, disapproving of algorithms in software or um, how such data can feed back into people gaming stats to appear more influential. Yeah, it might drive me to like clarify I, that I was not talking about 
anything in the software itself. I was talking about a one-time private research out of curiosity. Doesn't really warrant any panic. I think we are now in a window of time where people have developed a defensiveness about collecting any kind of social data because there there aren't necessarily rules on coming to correct conclusions or interpretations of it. To deviate a bit from interviewing you and just kind of chat about a personal anecdote from somebody uh, I've been speaking with recently, a friend of mine at a Bay Area tech company that I won't name has told me that he's spending time on his own just casually getting educated on machine learning and and trying to understand a bit more about some of the algorithms that come up at work, not because they are directly pertinent to his position or job there. He just has concern that he has to be able to push back or voice grievances on the days when he sees other people in the company doing something that they think is efficient, but really all they're doing is automating racism yeah if that makes sense yeah that's that's a big problem because machine learning is not actually artificial intelligence it's simply pattern recognition and it relies heavily on the data set that you feed it to learn the patterns so mm -hmm. if uh predominantly white researchers feed it lots of people uh, lots of pictures of white people and use it for some kind of uh classification then once the algorithm comes across a picture of a black person or an asian person it might arrive at completely random uh solutions which is the problem and uh i wouldn't right. personally I... say that machine learning is by itself problematic you just have to approach it responsibly um i think people on the fediverse sometimes have a tendency to jump to extremes about stuff so if Twitter does one thing, then we have to jump to a completely different extreme. Or like, if big company does one thing, then we have to do the polar opposite or whatever. Um, uh, so... I, uh, I think that's a natural I, extension. When we were talking about a, a user base that is predominantly made of people who have clocked experience somewhere else, uh, and been dissatisfied with that experience, by the time they're in the Fediverse, they have at least one chip, or probably several, on their shoulder, you know, about how things can go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, in, in talking about the dissatisfaction that people have with social networking experiences, that for, for things you or I might notice as as problematic or irritating or vexing people of marginalized communities are going to experience that at a greater magnitude so when when you see users come in uh, if they are uh, lgbtq users if they are people of color do you account for for their experiences or their feedback any differently on the grounds they may be more finely tuned to some of the pitfalls of online interaction or they may be more perceptive about the things that can go wrong in social networking spaces on a personal level yes i do consider that the possible problem here i think is that the channels through which people usually submit uh ideas or complaints are um, rather intransparent about people's identities. All I really see is an avatar and a username, and I don't really dig into details about what their background is. So in, in most so in most cases, uh, I just uh, look at the suggestions presented without any additional context, unless it is provided in the suggestion itself. No, understood. I, I don't so know. The, the answer is. A yes, but the the channels that exist for feedback or for relaying those experiences on uh, don't necessarily come with the asset of that that demographic data to contextualize it. It's just a series yes. of of notes of requests. Yes. 
Yes, and, and and there are a lot of notes and requests. I mean, damn, I've worked through so many over two years, and there's still a thousand issues open on the bug tracker, and it's it it can be hard to get through. It can be hard to keep in mind. Sometimes uh, I decide, oh yeah, this is a good idea, and then you know I forget about it, and then I read it again like four <laughs> months later. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot about this. I wanted to do this. <laughs> When users are on Twitter or Facebook or, or other social media platforms, there are these commercial forces exerted on them, both consistently and secretively. Like the user is presented with sponsored content, absent any full explanation about precisely how or why that particular corporate content is presented. And at the same time, their information is, is aggregated and quietly made available as its own consumer product, again, absent any clear explanation, is the design of Mastodon meant to allow users to avoid those forces, or the way it's designed, is there an imperative to actively shield users from those forces? Like, should it be difficult for capitalist influences to enter or exist on Mastodon at large. I don't think it goes that deep. Uh, there isn't really anything in Mastodon that would be uh, a force against, as you put it, capitalist forces invading Mastodon. I mean, not, not in, a, in a general sense. Uh, in, in the more specific senses, there is intentionally no advertising in Mastodon, and it tracks intentionally a little data about its users, only the essentials required for its function. Um, but at the same time, if uh, a commercial company starts a server, or if a commercial company starts an account to uh, post updates about their product, there isn't anything in the software against that, and um, I don't really see that as, as um, some problem that the software should be solving. I think the main selling point of Mastodon is that it doesn't get in the way between what you want to do. It's a tool for your use rather than you being uh, its tool for its use. So whoever you want to follow, you follow. You don't get your feed interrupted by ads. You don't get uh, the best content instead of just chronological. You don't get that sort of thing. You just see what you want to see. Before getting the interview going, we had um, made a quick mention of Activity Pub. Uh, I bring it up now because it's, you know, it, it's part of Mastodon or other social services like Pleroma. It's incorporated into video sharing like PeerTube or the image sharing PixelFed. Are there other elements of the current day internet that you envision as benefiting? from having a, a federated platform in the same model? Are there like other spaces a federation, the Fediverse, can move into where it doesn't exist yet? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I have observed many people jumping to conclusions when they were convinced by the Mastodon model um, and trying to apply that same model to some other aspects of the internet. And some of those made sense and some of them really don't. For example, I do not really believe that something like Patreon or banking uh, or anything money-related really can be federated in the same way that Pleroma or PixelFed can. Uh, that is because the in interfacing with financial institutions is inherently centralized, and so you, you don't really have a lot of room to experiment there. On the other hand, I do believe um, that we have at least one project going for all aspects where Federation makes sense. So we have sound sharing with Funkwell, photo sharing with PixelFed, microblogging with uh, Mastodon and Pleroma and Miski. Uh, we have macro blogging with Plume and Write Freely. Um, and I hope I didn't forget anybody, but I can't think of anything else that needs it. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, the takeaway that I'm getting from that when you were talking about um, financial sites and services not working in that model and having that wide distribution not being a good idea, 
I am personally interpreting that as you shitting on cryptocurrency. Although that's not what you said, I'm just going to elect to to take it that way and feel I mean, delighted. I, I have uh, shit get, on get, cryptocurrency get crypto coin nerds. you don't have to guess. I mean, internet payments are difficult and I'm not against the idea of improving them. I just don't think that we need to destroy the environment for it. So we're here, we're, we're in a new year at this point. It is 2019. Looking back at the prior year, which Mastodon memes do you think are poised to win all the awards at the 2019 memes? Wait, are the 2019 awards going to go to 2018 toots? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, the peculiar thing about the numbering, is that the award ceremony for any year is always looking back retrospectively at the prior year. Right. I did, I did do that top 30 post from Mastodon in 2018, a while ago, but I was not prepared for this exam, so I didn't memorize them. <laughs> didn't, didn't it cut off? Wasn't it something? It was like the top 34 or something, and you gave some public rationale for it, but I, I understand that the real reason for that cutoff number was to just stop short of any of my good content. Uh... I cannot mm -hmm. confirm or deny that. <laughs> Have you noticed that Portland, Oregon, in the States, and kind of the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., is the de facto capital of Mastodon? I have not, but I have watched Grimm, so uh, I am very familiar with Portland, Okay, Oregon. so you, yeah. you have a sense for the kind of gray, dismal background, and the the weird supernatural happenings. <laughs> it certainly explains the furries, yes. <laughs> when chatting, um, you know, I can ask questions about the things I'm interested in, or that I would presume other people are interested in. Is there anything that I can uh, tee you up for to, to chat about the culture? Because this is less formal than a lot of interviews. I mean, we're, we're talking about jokes and memes and, and all of that. Are there observations you've had about the people coming to Mastodon, about the culture of Mastodon, that you never have an outlet to make those observations in the more dry or boring or technical interviews? I mean, as, as you yourself uh, stated, Mastodon is lacking demographic data. It's, it's hard to say for a fact who is joining and where they're from and what their backgrounds are. So mostly my experience of Mastodon is through the people I'm following and what they themselves ex experience. And <clears throat> I presume that it is a, a limited view on the Fiverrs and biased towards uh, uh, the demographics that I'm mo most closest to. Do you, do you make decisions about who you follow on a metric like what kind of snapshot they can give you of the platform at large? Like, are you like, oh, this person is going to boost content or they're going to make posts that are uh, illustrative of, of I, all the Mastodon <clears throat> out there? Early on, I started by following as many administrators of other servers as possible to sort of get a view of what their servers are like. Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously if there's something interesting there, the admin would probably boost it, um, right? Um, at the same time, when uh, interesting people join Mastodon, I would follow them. Uh, like, if, if there is a celebrity joining Mastodon, I would follow them. Or if there is somebody that I used to know on Twitter. If I see somebody with an unusual background, a background that's not commonly represented on my home feed or on Mastodon at large, I, I try to follow mm -hmm. them as well. Uh, I think the most defining factor is if they have a very cute cat, uh, because that's, that's a follow. I don't want to alarm you, but you know, at the start of this, we were talking about how you feel a little self-conscious when posting because of this audience out there, and um, you don't necessarily know who all of them are. They don't necessarily know about you. There could be that context collapse when you're talking. And not, not to be too distressing, but I'm, I'm kind of a big account, so there's probably going to be some heat on you after talking to me. Just, just a warning. Okay. 
Well, I get so much heat anyways that a little bit more doesn't really make a difference. You're a brave man, Gargan. That's why you, <laughs> you've come this far. That's why I'm still take... here. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take one more break. We will come back for the last segment and wrap it up. All right. Got to sell those dildos. feedback I've been receiving from everyone so far with this weird experiment. It's been great fun to put this level of effort and care into something entertaining that's also inherently limited in scope and meant to be enjoyed by our comparatively intimate corner of the internet. And it was a lot of fun talking with Eugen in the space between interview segments, we talked more about music, um, talked about hamburgers, and really wasn't too dissimilar from chatting with anyone else on the platform. So, on top of that, it's been a strange feeling this week to incorporate in an added layer of not just making something fun, but approaching it in a manner that feels appropriately responsible. On the one hand, Eugen has given no shortage of interviews or statements on technical and development issues regarding Mastodon, so the opportunity to be playful and candid in our discussion gives the chance to see him from a different but equally valid angle and as a more complete person. And on the other hand, speaking as a Mastodon user means that I have to ask questions born from my genuine curiosity. I'm not going to suddenly pretend to be a, a journalist, but I don't have to be a journalist in order to have real questions about how the platform arrived at this point, and where it goes from here. They say that the dog that tries to chase two separate rabbits loses both of them. And I ultimately feel that way about this episode. I'm not sure that I gave Eugen the fun and shitposty experience antithetical to the more dry and technical interviews he's had in the past, because I felt a strong obligation to pose some more serious questions. I personally care about affirmative steps taken for the benefit of the interest of users from marginalized backgrounds, and I care a lot about Mastodon's utility as a refuge from what I interpret as a rising tide of amoral corporatism on the internet. But then again, in asking more pointed questions, I'm not certain I've really injected much new information into what already exists on these topics. So we had fun, but you know nothing revelatory was uncovered. So listening to this interview may ultimately serve to galvanize any pre-existing opinion you already have about the boy maestro of Mastodon. But my goal in this series is to better understand the platform through talking to its users. So I'll tell you how this past week has fleshed out my understanding of Mastodon and my impressions of Eugen. The development of Mastodon has involved the labor and creativity of many people funneled down into the vision and the objectives of one person. This has understandably led to a number of disagreements and conflicts. And the issues arriving at that one man all come part and parcel 
with some serious interpersonal implications because Mastodon isn't some fucking spreadsheet software. It's a social nexus where real people interact with real people. So almost every problem brought to Eugen has a social component, and his approach tries to address these problems with what he envisions as the rational software solution. So this has also understandably led to a number of disagreements and conflicts. But here's what stood out the absolute most in the chat. Eugen stated to me that the platform is effectively complete at this juncture in terms of design and functionality. He told me in a pretty straightforward manner that the current objective is growth. The model is established and the platform is here. The next chapter is about each new individual that finds it and how they choose to engage it. And that's 100% not an objective that Eugen can code his way through. At this point, the honest-to-God real development of Mastodon is increasingly in our hands. How do we shape the experience? How do we define the culture? Will you do something on this platform that acts like a beacon that brings in your like-minded people? Or will the users on your instance form a bond of support or organization that springboards into real-world impact? Will you tell the two or three cool co-workers that you know to, to ditch Twitter for this particular service? even if you don't necessarily tell them about your lewd alt? Or will you record a novelty podcast that pretends to be a joke on the surface, but is quietly a project meant to encourage us all to find some joy in how we define and navigate this platform? Well, don't. Don't, don't do that last thing. Stay in your own fucking lane. Don't test me. The Willamette River is full of people who tested me. I don't fuck around. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. We're going to head into the conclusion of the show, which is pretty ridiculous, as always. Um, please feel free to hit me up with your feedback about the show. You can at me, jackdaw underscore ruiz at mastodon.social, or using the hashtag nbtt has seemed pretty effective in the past couple of weeks for conversation and getting people up to speed. In the meantime, uh, it means the world to me that everyone has been so very supportive. Hope you have enjoyed the show, and I'll see you out there on the TL. Welcome back, everybody. We are still speaking with Gargan. Gargan, how are you doing? That's still a bit wrong, but uh, I'm doing great. Gargan. How am I pronouncing Eugen correctly and fucking up Gargan consistently? Well, the funny, the funniest thing is that both my real name and my nickname are impossible to pronounce correctly on first try, so it's not your fault. And that's okay. I would be more concerned about errors that you're going to make. Now, I operate under the idea that part of your position as... as this lead developer on Mastodon is that you have a near encyclopedic knowledge of every single instance in existence. Is that correct? More or less, possibly, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Which is why I am going to present you with a quiz. I'm going to give you two instances, each with a brief explanation from their login page or if not from their login page a quick summary of what they're all about and with no hesitation and no ambiguity you are going to instantly know which one is the real instance and which one is the false instance that i've made right okay all right okay so getting into this the first choice vapeape.global a nature preserve 
for the majestic vape ape or meow.social a community for furries fluffies and scalies um, Meow Social is real. That is correct. Meow Social <laughs> is real. VapeApe.global, not real yet. Sadly. Uh, okay. Moving Get on, on. that. <laughs> Nut.church, not an actual church, but twice as filthy, or postfeet, or postfeet.camp. An instance that says, you've had a hard day, put your feet up. Not church is real, it's too real. That's absolutely correct. It's, I thought we started with a joke premise here, now I'm convinced you might actually know every instance in existence. Moving on. Waifu.town, a collection of total fucking dorks. Or... Bitcoinhackers.org, the exact same fucking dorks. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Bitcoinhackers.org is real. Gargan, you're three for three. I think you're gonna kill this. <laughs> gonna take this shit down. Alright, next one. Social.illegalpornography.com, an instance that totally doesn't have anything illegal on it. Or mastodon.silkroad.cloud, an instance that totally doesn't have anything illegal on it. <laughs> uh, the illegal pornography one is real. <laughs> oh my god, you're doing it. You're actually doing it. Alright, so we're gonna see if you can go five for five here. Last one. I'm top fragging it. It's, you're getting MVP this round for sure. <laughs> Cornerprofits.org, a network with the stated intention of promoting peace, or KinkyElephant.com, a community for <laughs> fetish models and photographers. <laughs> Kinky Elephant is real. Gargan, that's five for five. You actually do have a superhuman knowledge of every instance in existence. <laughs> I do. Uh, how do I get rid of this knowledge? I can't sleep at night. I'm more concerned with the burden of how, how do you use it for good. <laughs> well, thank you for making time to chat with me today. Before we wrap up, are, are there any shout-outs that you want to give? Is uh, there anything that you want to say from the platform of Nothing But The Toot? I think everyone should forget about the cube and move on. Thank you. Good advice. Uh, we will see if the cube somehow defies that and sweeps the 2019 memes. <laughs> and everyone out there, have a good night. Good night. <laughs>